Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for joining us after lunch. Um, so Benjamin is a research analyst at 80,000 Hours. Um, he is a former civil servant. Um, he's worked as a policy advisor across the UK government uh, in the Cabinet Office, the Treasury, and also the Department for International Trade. Um, he has a master's degree in economics um, and theoretical physics, and he has published in the fields of um, physics and history and complexity science. Um, we will hopefully be taking questions, um, time allowing, towards the end. We're not going to be using swap cards, so please don't submit your questions to swap card. We'll just ask you to raise your hands um, and see your questions. Thank you very much. That was fun because I've never been given an intro before. Uh, I know I'm talking about any of that stuff. I can talk about something I know basically nothing about, but I did write an article about. So maybe it'll be useful for some of you. Can everyone hear me at the back? Is that all good? Yeah, excellent. Okay. Uh, at the moment, EA orgs look a bit like this. It's a bit shit. Uh, um, you know, it'd be cool if they look like this. Uh, I think that we even call this was basically just like Tony Star, you know, with a holographic map, like, figuring out what to do the world. I mean, this is basically hardware, but it's kind of true on the software end, too. Like, at the moment, we're using a bunch of stuff that isn't that useful, and probably, if we were really careful about it, we could do a bunch of really cool things with software. Um, and that's because automating stuff is really, 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 really useful. It makes things efficient. If you can find a way of automating the things, you never need to do it again. And so, generally, software is incredibly, incredibly useful and really easy to underestimate its value. Uh, what you have here is a graph of US total factor productivity growth. So, if you've never studied any economics, or even if you haven't, total factor productivity is like a multiplying factor on the output of an economy. It represents non-rivalable ideas. It represents things like technology that make everything better off. And what you can see here is waves in the growth of this thing that makes everybody better off. Uh, they represent different things. You've got like electrification in the early 20th century, and you've got this other wave around about 2000, and that's generally associated in the US with the rise of computers and the rise of software. It's basically just making everything better off, makes everyone better off in the whole society, because when you can make things more efficient, you end up with everybody being better off. And this is why software engineering, you should think, just a priori, is like pretty cool. Uh, but before I go on most of the talk, I want to know who is here. So, can we raise your hands? Can you raise your hand if you are a software engineer? Oh man, so that means you all know things. Okay, when somebody who isn't a software engineer asks me questions about software engineering, and I'm allowing you guys to tell them the correct answers. Um, if you are considering becoming a software engineer, but aren't a software engineer. Okay, cool. Um, and have you read the article that's on the website? So the one that's published The one that's published recently, yeah. Cool, okay, that's good, good to know. Um, so that means I'll probably talk more about if you're already a software engineer, what you can do rather than necessarily have to get into software engineering, blah, 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 blah. Um, And I'm always curious at events like this. If you, like, pick, raise your hand for exactly one of these, but not more. Uh, poverty? Factory farming? Long-termism? Nice split, I like it. So it's like about half long-termism and split across other things. Okay, cool, got, got a bit of everyone there. Um, I'm going to take primarily a long-term perspective in this talk, that's the perspective 8,000 hours often takes, um, and I do that because I, that's what I think is the most important. So if I'm going to tell you how to be the most good as a software engineer, it's going to generally be from that perspective, we can talk about that later, feel free to come up and talk about that at some point. Um, cool. This is the biggest piece of advice I will give anyone for anything, uh, is if you want to work on a thing, you should work on that thing and not convince yourself that the other thing you're doing is actually helpful. Why? You have two kinds of distribution. 
have a big long tail distribution and you have some distributions that look more like a normal distribution. They're thin tails. Basically what this means is that sometimes you can be a little bit better than average and sometimes you can be orders of magnitude better than average. Often, if you're talking about personal fit and how good you are at things, you'll be a little bit better than average. There are some skills that are not like this, but in general you'll be a little bit better than average. But if you're working on problems, some problems will be thousands of times better than other problems. What this means is, if you can focus on an important problem, you're going to significantly improve your impact, even if that means your personal fit for that thing is a little bit less. So if you want to do good as a software engineer, the main thing you should be doing is thinking, how is the thing I'm doing actually helping fix a problem with the world, rather than thinking, is this fun, is this necessarily the thing I enjoy the most, I'm best at. That's still an important consideration, don't neglect it. But probably, if your thing is not related to a thing that we think is a really important problem, you shouldn't be doing it, you should be trying to move elsewhere. That's like number one piece of advice. Um, what's an important problem? Like me, we have some guys in Oxford that like, thought about this a lot, and wrote lots of nice books, and if we open up one of the books, you get my favourite list, which is a very scary list of the chances of all dying very soon, at least in the next hundred years. Um, you can see down there we have a 1 in 6 chance of total existential risk. Um, it's mainly anthropogenic, and the really big ones are engineered pandemics and unaligned AI, uh, and so obviously I'm going to focus a bit on those because they seem to be the things that are most likely to and lead to the extinction of humanity. There are also areas where, as a result, we seem plausibly able to actually make progress, whereas if you have a very, very small risk, on the marginal, you're limited in the amount of progress you can make with these numbers. Um, so, those are the things I'm going to talk about the most. But there's other stuff up here too. I think one thing that's often neglected is thinking about how big unforeseen risks are. That's a really important thing that we should probably also worry about. Um, cool. AI safety. AI safety needs software engineers. Uh, this is broadly true. Basically what's happened is over the past few years uh, is we have big things like GPT-3. We have these gigantic machine learning models that are really able to do crazy things and are looking more like a sort of transformative artificial intelligence that could completely change the world. As a result, we actually have these things so we can play with them. We can do empirical alignment research, which has not existed before. So you get a bunch of supercomputers, and you run gigantic models on them, and you do test out your techniques on those models themselves. So that means your orgs are spending millions, potentially, on compute for a single experiment. Which means if you can like, make these a little bit more efficient by a couple of percent, you're getting huge amounts of value, uh, just in terms of funding donations, even if you like, don't necessarily believe in AI. Just, just, just on that front, you're going to do really well. Then, on top of that, that value is like, way more important for the world than actually the money. Like, you're presuming that somebody's donated money to an AI safety organization because they think they can get thousands of times more impact than donating that elsewhere. So you're getting loads and loads of impact in making these things a little bit more efficient. And this was not possible a few years ago at all. There's a list up there of things that, uh, this is from Andy Jones' post on software engineering, of things that uh, orgs need in general, distributed systems, numerical systems. If you like thinking about AI safety, if you have expertise in something specific, uh, then those things are all quite useful. Um, one piece of warning though. It might be bad to go somewhere and like, accelerate capabilities of uh, misaligned AI. I think it's quite a difficult thing to think about. It's a thing to be worried about. If you're worried about that for a particular job you're considering, like you should talk to 8,000 hours. That's what we do. Um, this is, I think, in general, uh, a good like, rule of thumb. If you, anyone in this room, could hypothetically write a feature or fix a bug in a major ML library, you could probably be working right now as a software engineer on AI safety, and that's probably the most useful thing you could be doing with your software engineer. Uh, so it's like a good rule of thumb to think about. Uh, and if you're unconvinced about that, uh, or you have other things you're worried about, like, come talk to me, it'll be fun. Um, biosecurity. In the biosecurity space, uh, there's actually a bunch of stuff in software engineering. Often what this looks like is like 
small new startups. So when I was writing the article on software engineering, I was chatting to Ethan Ali, who uh, co-founded Aldea, a very rapidly growing new startup developing COVID vaccines. It's very exciting. And he was like, I often try and hire software engineers. The reason he finds it hard to hire software engineers is what he needs is somebody who would like be happy to dive into incredibly boring stuff or incredibly exciting stuff, whatever is needed, because it's like a small, rapidly growing organization where you just need to bounce around and do all sorts of things. So unlike in ML, uh, unlike in AI safety, it's not like having specific, specific skill sets, much more distributed skill sets. Um, and also by security, information security is very important. So you've got places like Secure DNA, and they're answering problems of like, okay, if we uh, theoretically build a database of dangerous genetic sequences, how do we keep those secure while also being able to use them to detect dangerous genetic sequences? It's a difficult thing to think about. Um, this is my colleague Roman. He's nice, he's very friendly. Uh, he works 6,000 hours. He is a software engineer. Uh, we actually have two software engineers. It's, it's great. They're very useful. Uh, this makes an important point that like everything needs software engineers. Like every EAO probably needs a software engineer. Um, you, you can automate stuff. Like I think we think priorities for automated all their survey making processes. Uh, you can build good data infrastructure. You can build public platforms. You can like public platforms like microcoding. That was a sort of bunch of EAOs got together and built a really cool platform. Um, uh, websites, every EAO needs websites. Uh, it sounds boring, but actually really important. Um, uh, developing models for things, that's a lot of software engineering there. Um, and also making startups, including altruistic startups. Those things are all things that need software engineers. Like, it's just generally broadly useful. Most EA orgs will need software engineers, probably even a bunch of value through working directly on the thing that you care about. Um, so, then we get some questions of like, well, you know, why can't I just stay as a software engineer and donate my money to the EA or, EA or, or like, uh, why do they need EAs? Why can't they just hire other people? And so I'm going to go into these questions now. Um, first thing is, you should think this a little bit like operations. Um, there are often gaps in EA skill sets that make it hard to hire people. Uh, and that applies across operations management, it also applies across software engineering. So here are four reasons why, why you should think about this. Um, first, there's a really big difference between a good software engineer and an excellent software engineer. That means that if I am like somewhat restricted in the amount of funding, I may not be able to compete for the best software engineers. They may be order of magnitude better for the world or for my organization. Um, if I get really, really good software engineers. Uh, so I want people to come work for me who are really good software engineers. If you're really, really good, probably providing a lot of value to that organization. Uh, one way of thinking about this is um, if uh, the organization is more willing to hire you than to take the money you would otherwise have donated as a software engineer, then that's a good sign that probably you'll get more value for that organization by working for them than by donating money as a software engineer. Uh, alternatively, you can think of it like this. Um, a company that hires you, they're paying you some money, they're only paying you some small fraction, most likely, of the money they make off you. They're making some profit, that's why they're willing to hire you. Uh, and that means you're providing way more value than what you're earning. You could be providing all that value, not just for like, the profit of some company, but for a project which is actually having a significant impact on the world, which is going to be way, way more important than just the money you're making. Uh, and so like, there's another way of thinking about this. Um, Secondly, like often you get a bit less recognition as a software engineer. You're in the background, you're supporting other work, you're not the most well-known person, you've probably not really seen Roman before, you might have done, but like, you know, uh, you've probably seen Rob Woodburn everywhere because he's on the podcast a lot. Uh, and so like, you get a bit less recognition, that makes it less likely people apply for them. Uh, and similarly, your impact is indirect. Like your, your impact is like through other people at your, rather than actually doing the thing that you're doing overall. Um, and lastly and importantly, the value of software engineering scales. So if what software engineering is doing is making things a little bit more efficient, then if you have a much, much bigger organization, that little bit of percentage of efficiency is far more important for 
So as we get out of the funding bottleneck world, the value of software engineers massively increases at EA organizations and at places that are actually trying to have an impact. Um, why do we need EAs in particular? So that's like a reason to think you probably have a good impact in the EA world, but why can't they just like hire other people? There are a whole bunch of reasons for this. I think it's often quite hard to tell whether you should be hiring EAs or private sector people, but often the organ sales wouldn't have a lot of thoughts about this. Here are some reasons they might have. First one, organizational culture. EAs like talking about EA stuff. You sit around at lunch and you talk about EA stuff and there's some guy who doesn't really get it. They're probably a bit bored, but actually they won't like it very much, uh, and then they'll leave. Um, EAs are less likely to actually leave their jobs. They're more likely to be motivated on the thing that they're working about. Um, if you train up some EAs, you give them a load of capital, you give them a load of connections, you give them a load of knowledge, that's all really useful. If they're going to stay in EA, that's all stuff that's invested into the movement, they're doing good for the world. If they're going to go work for like some uh, big tech company that like, might be doing much less good for the world, then it's much less good to have given them that them work knowledge or that capital. Um, more likely to have knowledge of EA problems. Uh, so like, if you're working in AI safety, but probably want someone who knows about AI safety, that means you're most likely to be in EA. Unfortunately, that's how it works. Um, uh, it's hard to promote non-EAs into leadership positions as well. So like, if your org has a strategy that's focused around effective altruism, and you promote someone to a leadership position that's not focused, in, that's not, and they're not effective altruists, they're going to then be able to make decisions about your org and what your org does. So you want your org to carry on having the best, most impact they can, which then makes it hard to promote people. But promoting people is a key part of how organizational structure works, how motivation works. So that makes it hard to hire, harder to hire junior people as well. Um, and it can be hard to compete on a prestige basis, even if not on a funding basis with big firms. So lots of AI safety organizations, again, to use an example, are actually for-profits. So somewhere like Anthropic, for-profit, and they will be able to compete on salaries. Uh, in fact, throughout EA, there's often a thing we're now able to do where you can compete on salaries with big tech companies. But you can't necessarily compete on prestige and career capital. That's much harder to do, because most of the world doesn't know who you are or what you're doing. So that makes it hard to hire in general. Which means if someone is motivated to work there because they think you're doing good, you're more likely to end up with a better candidate, and you're more likely to end up with good value as a result. So that's why, specifically, not just we need to hire software engineers, we need EA software engineers. Um, okay, I've given some considerations about what I need to give, but here's a really important consideration that I need to give. If you do decide, well, I can still make more money with my generation than being a software engineer, that's, that's kind of plausible. Software engineer salary is pretty high, but you should probably also consider going for the higher variance, higher expected return strategy. Like, if you go and start a startup, uh, that sounds great. Like, if that startup could possibly be a billion dollar company and they give all that money away to charity, that sounds way better than starting a startup that gives like small amounts of money, uh, or, or working somewhere that gives small amounts of money away to charity, even if it's higher variance. Um, I think the fact that we have lots of funding in EA now and we're able to do things in EA we weren't able to do before because of that means it is even more valuable to go for high variance strategies. You've got backup if you're wrong. It's not like we're relying on the generation to do things. Instead, just go and do the great things by founding the company. It seems like a great, great choice. Um, another consideration is should you work for a large company or should you work for a startup? Um, there are a few things to think about here. Probably if you're already software engineers, you've thought about this before, but for those of you who are thinking about becoming software engineers, it's an important consideration. Um, roughly, what goes on is we found that large companies Training is really, really, really good. Like Google's training on information security is probably the best training available on information security, and you'll only get it if you work at Google. Um, so, like, if you want to develop a really specific skill set, it makes sense to go work on that at a large firm. Um, but it's not a variety. Uh, one of the things I say in my article is one thing that happens to people is they just get five years of the same experience, five times over, and it's not actually that helpful. If you don't move around with a job, you end up just doing the same thing over and over again. Uh, so you've got to be careful to make sure that doesn't happen to you. 
Um, it's also harder to gain front-end experience. Uh, this is a bit strange because they obviously do have front-end teams. But if you have a big already existing product, often your front-end development looks like uh, tweaking something, doing an experiment, uh, doing an A-B test, seeing if it works. So you're much more like doing experiment design than building a whole front-end, uh, which is probably what you'd end up doing in the PA or similar where you're building an entire thing. So you get much less transferable experience than that, much more about experiment design. Um, but you do a good job security and pay progression. The thing you get at startups is like basically good experience across the board on various different things. So if you're going to want to work for EA startups, probably it helps to work for some other startup at some point. Um, or again, it's also higher variance. Uh, pay might in expectation be better than a startup. And probably your expected pay matters more than like, your absolute guaranteed pay, at least from a risk neutral donation perspective. Um, yeah, next step, depending on where you're at, should either like learn to program if you want to do this, or get a job in software engineering, or if you're in software engineering, try and switch into something that matters. Um, but actually, that's a shit idea, don't do that. Um, talk to HP, that, that's a, uh, like, you know, they're, they're happy, they're smiling. Uh, <laughs> it's fun. Um, yeah, uh, they're a lovely team, it's some of them walking around here. Um, if you're considering giving a really high impact software engineering job, you should probably apply for ATK advising as a week. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, now is time for questions. We have like eight minutes left. Um, and I won't know all the answers. I'm not an expert in this. That's just my vague thoughts. Hopefully that was useful. If you have questions, let's go. Raise your hands. Uh, cool. Um, with AGI safety work, um, there are Clearly, a bunch of engineering bottlenecks, so everyone keeps saying so. But what are the engineering bottlenecks? Like, there was a list of skills up there, but like, what are the things that you're building with those skills? Uh, good question. Uh, first thing is, I don't know the details. Oh, the question is, what are the bottlenecks in, in AI uh, safety engineering? Like, what are they actually building? Um, I don't know the details. I get the impression that basically this is just very large experiments into plausible techniques for aligning things. So for example, um, you might have a technique which is, uh, there is a language model, and I want, so one thing Redwood research is current project is, let's get this language model, and get this language model to continue a story, but in a way that is non-violent. And they see lots of analogies between this and general alignment. So in order to do so, they need to build an experiment where they have a load of people working on a really massive language model. Uh, and so you need to build that, and that will need suffering. Um, basically, it's like, these experiments are big enough that the answer is probably everything and lots of different parts and depends exactly what you're good at and what you're hired to do. But I don't know the details. Sorry. Does anyone here know the answer? Gone. A better answer that I learned today is, uh, sorry, is uh, from Anthropic's uh, jobs page. They have a list of six tasks that they could need help with. Some of them are related to full step. And some of them are related to making a Wikipedia data set in a format models can easily consume. And I think that's the best explanation I have. So that, that was like, could be full stack, could be making a Wikipedia data set that models can consume. I uh, don't know which, uh, but like anything in between. The answer is lots of stuff, I think. Uh, yeah. Other questions? Yes. I could get your feedback on an idea for a startup that I have, which would uh, basically analyze technological trends, emerging technologies because I believe that uh, it's important to educate the world uh, about what are the possible uh, technologies out there that are being developed, how far they are, and how they could be, how they could be adopted. 
by the industry and so on that would like make us as a humanity push us further into what is what we're capable of, for example, I don't know, genetic engineering uh, from malaria or whatever, uh, whatever problem that we have. So I just wanted to know, like, what is the uh, what is the thinking about this type of startup in the community, if you know? Uh, so what are the thoughts about altruistic startups, basically? Yeah. Um, I think they can be fantastic and they can be bad. Um, I would say that, like, um, if you could make a startup which is going to earn a billion dollars that doesn't do harm to the world and you can give that away to charity, that's fantastic. But if you can start a startup that's going to uh, create more value than that donation to charity, that's even better. Uh, so it depends exactly what your startup idea is. I personally am a big fan of Aldea. They're doing uh, the ones I mentioned earlier. They're doing um, DNA vaccines for COVID strains. I think they've been very impressively ramped up and uh, moving very fast and producing exciting things. In best case scenario, they end up in a world where we rapidly produce vaccines for new diseases that massively help protect against pandemics. And this is like something that probably closely seems more valuable than a billion dollar startup. Uh, so like, it depends exactly what your startup idea is, but you do have to compare it. Like, there's also value in your altruistic startups. Are, so, are there some areas which you are considering as the most uh, like uh, useful in terms of just you gave one, one example, can you? Yep. Yeah. Um, um, they're the only one off the top of my head. I would imagine that if it's going to be important, it's going to focus on one of the important things, like <laughs> pandemics, or risk from AI, or uh, unforeseen new technology risks, or something like that. Um, yeah. Okay. Yes, maybe. Uh Isn't it true, Ben, that less wrong in the EA form are hiring? And this is a great way to do uh, <laughs> that is very true. And if you're interested in working for less wrong, you should talk to me. Um, um, but like, actually, this is a good example of like orgs that really do need software engineers. We've got loads of value out of software engineers far more than you could donate. Uh, it's worth thinking about that. Any other questions? Yes. Um, is there any uh, consensus in the community doing research on? How useful the current practical approaches are uh, actually are to controlling superintelligent uh, AI because this uh, the, the superintelligent AI is really the one that makes this topic important, I would say. And I, I think, at least to me, and I feel like to a lot of people, it's unclear how helpful current practical research and current existing machine learning and uh, AI techniques is to helping uh, help solving this problem with hypothetical superintelligent AI. Cool. Um, the answer is no, there is no consensus. Um, uh, you shouldn't really expect there to be consensus, at least at the moment. Um, I would say it does not seem the case to me that the majority of British AI comes from a single superintelligent AI, um, but that's like my personal opinion, and you shouldn't take much by that because I don't know much about it. Um, but uh, yeah, there is no consensus. It seems pretty plausible to me that these techniques will work, especially in of take off or multiple scenarios. Um, I have to chat about that more in process. We have one minute. One minute. If anyone has one last question, not feel free to come talk to me. Isn't it true that lots of EA orgs want software developers, and for some reason, only few of them actually apply? That is also true. Like this is the whole point. If you think you can work for EA or you probably get loads of value out of doing it, you should apply. 
Uh, they only sell for that, and they find it really hard. Not to enough find. people buy. Not enough people buy. No, they're not. No. Is there a centralized way for people to find EA jobs related to software engineering? Yes. That's the other thing. If you're interested in jobs, look at the internet. It's always 